Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All righty, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Auto Bid. This is going to be your, your March Madness episode, man. We're going to dive into the bracket. So we have one of the best bracketologists in the business. Lucas Harkins is here with us today, man. And we're going to dive right into, obviously, uh, the, the committee and selection show teams that got left in and left out. And then we're going to give you some upset picks and, of course, uh, some final four picks as well. But before we get into all that, we want to make sure we remind you guys, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, giving us a rating, uh, giving us five stars, uh, wherever you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcast, whoever you're tuning into this podcast, please uh, subscribe. Give us a rating, man. It does go a long way. Uh, if you see our content on social media, man, give us a give us a like, retweet, um, all of the above. Um, and then also make sure you guys stream my guy, Pull Up Tay's music. That was him on the intro. Going to be him on the outro. His music is out on all platforms, Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Uh, his new project, Why Stop Now, is out everywhere. So make sure you guys go and get that, man. But I mentioned, man, we're joined by Lucas Huggins. Also, my, my guy, Drew, down there in Portugal, man. He has some Wi-Fi issues earlier but we got that all figured out so uh first of all drew how you doing today man i'm all right man we got off the off a flight man had to come over here to the islands of uh tercera it's right off the uh the coast of portugal kind of actually i'm actually closer to the united states i'm only about three or four hours from the united states right now so i'm, I'm almost halfway home i think i could probably catch a flight be back in dc pretty soon but uh Nonetheless, man, you know, excited. It's March Madness time. Excited to get into this bracketology stuff, you know, watching college basketball. And, of course, you know, wh- while we're recording this, this podcast is Tuesday night, you know, and uh, the Bachelor the bachelor finale is tonight. So, and that's really what I'm looking forward to, you know, getting into that, <laughs> recording this, and seeing what my guy Clayton is going to do with his uh, Susie, Rachel, and uh, Gabby situation. So, you know, it's a great, it's a great evening, Ace. It's a great evening. I can't believe you called him your guy, man. You're really condoning that 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 fool's actions, man. I, I can't believe that we're, that we're that we're going into that on this podcast. But nonetheless, my wine is ready, and, and I, I can't wait for that. Uh, gonna be on while while, while uh, Indiana Wyoming are playing, so I'm gonna be looking looking back and forth between the bachelor finale, and I'll have Indiana Wyoming in the background somewhere, you know, so I don't miss the real show. <laughs> but we have Lucas Harkins on here today, man. And obviously, um, Lucas, you've had a lot to say over the past uh, few days about you know just just the committee in general, and you know Drew and I. Um, obviously aren't, you know, too, too keen with obviously what goes into the teams getting selected. And in my opinion, when I, when I saw the selection show and, and saw who got left in, who got left out, um, largely I, I was pretty okay with it. I know obviously um, A&M was the biggest trend as far as like why, you know, why they got left out as opposed to, you know, a lot of people thought that they should have been in. But um, for you, what, what were your biggest gripes with the selection committee and, and um, what, how the bracket turned out? You know, I think my only gripe really comes back to one thing. Um, I've talked about it a few times now, but I think that it's just really, it's, it's the crux of the argument for me. 
um, as it doesn't really feel like Saturday and Sunday leading into selection Sunday necessarily mattered um, for selection or seating. I think there's a few examples of that. Um, Virginia Tech getting slotted as an 11 felt like a bit of a slight after winning the ACC. Duke still landing on a two seed after losing the SEC, whereas Tennessee landed on a three despite winning Saturday and Sunday to get the SEC title. Um, Yale getting a 14 seed felt like they just thought Princeton was going to win and they were going to give Princeton that 14 and they just took them out and put Yale in the spot. Um, it just felt like those games didn't necessarily matter as much as um, they should. And I'm not saying that they matter more than any other game in, earlier in the year either. Um, the committee is very open about total body of work matters. And I think that's the case. Um, though the total body of work includes the last week of the season too. Um, and I think that was probably my biggest gripe um, with everything all together. With that said, I think it's, I think bubble conversations are probably the, the, not the dumbest, but I think that they're, they're not really my favorite thing to talk about because when you get to the bubble, if you're really in the last five teams in the field or the first five out, you had 30 chances to make it better and make it an easier decision. Um, the seeding choices were like, if you're a protected seed, like Duke or Tennessee, um, the, the, the possibility to get into a better geographical preference at that point that they've earned. Um, now I do think Texas A&M was snubbed with that said, but I do believe that, that, that all those teams kind of near the cut line, like Dayton had opportunities to not lose four, three quad four games in the first month of the season. Uh, there are always things you can point to with bubble teams to make an argument for them out of the field. Um, and when you look at teams seated higher, those teams didn't have those arguments. So you, you can make an argument for anybody to get out of the field if you're on the bubble. Now, for, for us novices and for people who even uh, who don't really know kind of a lot of the terminology that goes into the, the bracketing process, I mean, I've heard, you know, the net rankings and, you know, Ken Palm and all these different type of metrics. Um, for the people who may not be kind of privy to those things, can you kind of explain what kind of the most, some of these most important metrics are that kind of go into the bracket and then um, kind of how those have an effect on who can get, who gets in the field and, and, and not? Yeah, so there's six team sheet metrics. Team sheet is what the committee gets, um, which goes through, there are six core metrics on this. The net is the NCAA evaluation tool, but your own net matters to some extent, but mainly the net is used to figure out quadrant records. So if you play a road top 75 team in the net, that's a quad one game. A home game against the top 30 um, is quad one. A neutral side against the top 50 is quad one. So, um, so, so, yeah. so quad one is only home games against top 30? Correct. So you play so a home game against the 35th team. That's not a quad one win. It's a quad two game. If you beat wow. four, if you beat four seed Providence at home this year, that's a quad two game. <laughs> what? Meanwhile, wow. if you go if you go on the road and beat Towson this year, I guess that's a quad one win. Wow. What? <laughs> I never knew that. Never knew that. Learn something new every day. This is why we got to do this on the podcast. They made that change, I want to say, four or five years ago when they started in the net. They wanted to value more road wins. Um, and I think they probably devalued top-tier home wins um, in that. Like, I think I get beating a top 75 team on the road as quad one, but I think beating a top 50 team at home is pretty darn good, too. Yeah. Um, when you get to the top 30 – and people talk about quad one a wins, which is an even deeper part of that, which is just the top 15 in the net at home is quad one a. And is it really that much better to beat Iowa at home versus Illinois? No, I, I think it, there's something to be said for, I think people get a little bit too 
caught up in quadrant records when they look at things. The committee's not dumb. The committee sees every result on your team sheet. It's or it's organized in quad one, quad two, and columns. But they see you played at Texas and you won by X. They see the score. They see the time it was. They see the location. If it's a neutral site, they list the exact location. They write at Bahamas Island Showcase or whatever in, in it. They, they see all of that. And I think there's more information on the team sheet under those quadrant records that people don't necessarily know. Um, in terms of pure metrics, because I think that's the easiest thing for people to talk about, because there's only six numbers. You can average them if you want. Um, it just makes arguments a little bit simpler, especially when most arguments you only got 280 characters to make one. Uh, so I think you have net being the NCAA evaluation tool, and there's two resume metrics. Um, they're results-based. They, they're mostly there to uh, rank teams based on what they've done. So you'll see Wisconsin top 10 in both of those, Providence top 15 in both of those, um, for example. That's the KPI. That's the Kevin Paga index um, and strength of record, which is on ESPN's page. Uh, and then there's three quality metrics. So you guys already mentioned Ken Fountain. That's the most notable one, um, most often discussed. BPI is the ESPN version, basically, of Ken Palm. Um, and Sagarin has been around since the 90s, and it looks like it if you go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess my, my question is for, for a team like, like an A&M, right? Why was it that they were left out? Was it just because of that, that all of their wins came in the latter part of the year? Or was it just because of the fact that were their metrics not good? Like for a team like that, and then also for for me, me personally speaking, right? I look at a team like Notre Dame that got in the tournament, right? And I say, all right, how did they get in? And a team like Wake Forest didn't Wake Forest beat them head to head. They beat you, you they beat UNC by like twenty. Beat Virginia Tech, I want to say by like twenty. Uh, they have a better overall record. They're twenty three and nine, and Notre Dame is twenty two and ten. Obviously, Notre Dame was second in the ACC, and Wake was a little bit, you know, yeah. below them. But I think if you look at both of those teams, in my opinion. I would say Wake Forest is probably the better team if you just use the eye test. Now, is there an argument for that, for, for that argument? And then as well as the a and I mean, what, what are your thoughts on those two scenarios? You know, I didn't think either Wake Forest and Notre Dame necessarily deserved to make the field. Although I do agree with you on Wake Forest and the eye test. Um, yeah. Williams is phenomenal. They're, they just, that's a fun team to watch. And I would like to see them in the tournament. Their issue reminds me of NC State a few years ago. Um, both teams got left out of the field because they played a horrible non-conference schedule. Yeah. Um, uh, not to criticize Wake Forest here, um, but I think Steve Forbes might have thought he didn't have as good a team as he did yeah. and scheduled like we're going to pick up wins. We're going to have a good year. We're going to build the program because I think he's doing a great job there. And it turns out that they were pretty darn good this year. And it would have been nice if they picked up an extra win or two in non-conference, um, which is just kind of a, a tough spot to be. Um, but Wake Forest's non-conference schedule, I think, is what left it out. Notre Dame, they referenced, by they, I mean the committee chair, referenced Kentucky. I mean, Notre Dame's win over Kentucky at home earlier in the year is the main reason for their inclusion. And, and I get that. And I think that that is a great win. But when you compare, if you're comparing Texas A&M and Notre Dame at this point in the schedule, if your number one argument for Notre Dame is they have one two-point home win against Kentucky, I don't know what you watched out of Texas A&M the last week. They beat out, they won at Alabama by 16. They won an overtime against Florida, who didn't make the field, but it's still a pretty good win. They neutral site beat two seed Auburn by five, neutral site beat four seed Arkansas by 18. Those are all better wins, except for Florida. Three of those wins are better than anything Notre Dame had, um, especially if you're going to want to value road wins. Um, and I think Texas AM, that really puzzled me. Um, I guess their metrics at the start of the week when the committee got together, I think on Tuesday. Their metrics are more in the 50s, and they ended more in the 40s. 
Um, so I think that was such a big jump over the week. But I think if there was, I think honestly, if I'm speaking in from this, if this election show was on Monday, I think Texas A&M's in the field. If it was on Monday as opposed to Sunday, I think if they took an extra day and really took into account more strongly the last, I can't imagine Texas A&M gets left out of the field. I really, it's I've been doing bracketology for six years. It's one of the teams that I'm most confused by not getting in the field. And maybe I'm biased towards the recency results. Um, and Texas A&M, as I mentioned, when I was talking about bubbles earlier. There's always a reason to leave out a bubble team and an eight game losing streak in January and February is the reason they got left out. Um, yeah. to, to make it easy. You don't lose at home to Missouri. And <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And they did. So like, I, it's hard. I, I think it's, it's a tough finish. They played great down the stretch. Um, and to lose to a three seed in Tennessee in the SEC championship game, and that's the reason you're left out or something. I don't know if that's fair, but I think every bubble team dug their own grave in some in some capacity. Right. Now, one thing I always wondered was when the NCAA is uh, putting the actual brackets together, right? How do they determine like the seeds and then the location? Like, because if I'm not mistaken, Villanova is in the west. The West, uh, South region, or South region. Yeah. So, like, how do they determine where these teams go? How do these teams end up having to go, you know, out of their geographic location to play games? Like, how does that work? So, I think they, they try to keep first round geographical pairings as close as they can. Um, like when you Gonzaga's out in Portland, I'm pretty sure. Um, and once they saw, once I was like, Boise State's going to get an eight seed, they're probably going to get Gonzaga because they're going to send Boise out to Portland, um, which makes sense. Um, Villanova's in the South but it gets its first two rounds in Pittsburgh. Um, that kind of idea, Wisconsin's going to be, Wisconsin got the luckiest straw of anybody in America. <laughs> They're in what, uh, Chicago? They get, they get Milwaukee the first two rounds and then Chicago in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. It is, That's my family, <laughs> it is perfect. It's like the perfect two weekends. Now, it's not like their draw is easy. I mean, no one's draw in the NCAA turn is easy. Yeah. Um, Colgate's a really good basketball team, shoots the crap out of the ball. But just from a geographical standpoint, they got an unbelievably good draw. Um, so I think the first round is a little bit more geographically, I think, kinder to other teams. When you get to the full regional, so Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games, that depends. I think that, that really, for me, breaks down more into, is in, into bracket rules. Um, so the SEC in particular was a case this year. The top four teams in a conference that are on the top four seed lines have to be in different regions. They aren't allowed to be together. The top so four teams in, in conferences? In the, if, if, so the SEC had four teams in the top four seed lines. Okay. Um, Tennessee, Auburn, um, Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky and, and Arkansas. And Arkansas, yes. Yeah. They're all going to be in four different regions. They have to be. That's the rules. The top four teams, only in the top four seed lines. So if Arkansas got to a five, they could go to the, any of the other three regions. Yeah. But since they landed on the four line, they have to be separate. And because of that, Arkansas was pretty much destined to go West. Jeez. Basically from three weeks ago, they were going to go West because Kentucky was going to get the East as the top two seed. Auburn was going to go to the Midwest as the second one. And then you were probably going to see Tennessee take the South because they were going to be either the last two um, or they were going to be the first three. And they ended up as, as one of the first, one of the first threes and they got the South, which sent Arkansas West and they were going to get screwed regardless, uh, which sucks. But I think for regional wise, it comes down to a lot of the bracket rules and then you just kind of have to plug teams in um, as best you can to fit them in. So with the mid-majors, how does that work? I know obviously you said there were some beats with like, for like 
you know, obviously, yeah, I know George State got underseeded. Like, yeah. do, 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 do they take that into consideration with those lower one bit leagues and stuff? I'm not sure. I haven't really looked at it too much in, in sub regionals, so the first round and second round. Although I, I was puzzled when I, I was I was doing the the field of 68 live show during the selection show, so I wasn't really paying as much attention as I normally would. Um, though it did throw me off a bit that I think Georgia State got a 16, which I think yeah. they didn't deserve. I thought a healthy Georgia State's playing like a 14 seed. Yeah. Um, but they got a 16 and were sent to Portland or California, whereas Cal State Fullerton is the 15 in that region and is going to Georgia. I, explain, I don't know. There's something to be said um, for, I think, the mid-majors aren't necessarily as given as much geographical preference. And I think that that's probably to save, not save, but to, to give preference to the teams that had higher seats. Um, they'll follow S-curve formula a little bit more. So S-curve would mean their top one seed is going to get the worst 16 typically. Um, and, and they'll follow that tracking. And this year was a little bit tricky um, on the one line because I believe Gonzaga and um, Baylor both played one of the 16s at some point in the year. Um, not anymore. They, you, they both played Alcorn State, which ended up not making the tournament. But for bracketology purposes, that was a bit tricky. Um, but I think they mostly just will follow S-curve formula to keep things as even as possible once they get to mid-majors. Now, uh, you know, we touched on a little bit, the whole Tennessee-Duke gripe. I heard that a lot. We've talked about Texas A&M. Um, for you, when you look back at the bracket, who got left out uh, the seeds, what was your biggest gripe, like, with the bracket as far as, you know, a team that you think really got hosed the worst? You know, honestly, I think it's Tennessee – from a seeding standpoint, I think they deserved a two, but I think the, the getting them in the South is probably more important to volunteers fans. Um, if you can argue with the difference between a 15 and a 14, isn't that big anyways, it's more about which 15 or 14 you draw. Um, a lot of those teams are pretty similar. They're separated by four spots in, on the S curve for a reason. They're close teams. Um, yeah. If you're off a two seed line, some projection, that's a little different, right? All of the teams I had seated were within one spot. I would say the other gripe I would have, Honestly, is Villanova going to the South? Um, I, I'm sure they did this out of um, trying to keep the top four seeds as even as possible because I bet they had um, Kentucky ahead of Villanova in their overall curve, and they wanted to not screw over one of the one seeds by putting a better two in there. But I really think that you probably could have made a case for Kentucky would have preferred the South and Villanova the East and just swapped those two, and both of them are happy. Uh, and I say that part as a Villanova person because in the East <laughs> – the, the regional there is Wells Fargo Center. Um, right. And Villanova purposely only plays two home games at the Wells Fargo Center because they know bracket rules. If you play three, you can't play there in the NCAA tournament. They purposely play two in the regular season so they can play there. Um, and they didn't finish up high enough on the two line to get there. Um, but that is one that I think Villanova fans at least could probably have a gripe with. And in part, that comes back to that, what I was talking about with the, the weekend games. Uh, Villanova won the Big East. That, 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 that's definitely interesting because obviously I, I thought that they, that, that they were for sure getting that Philadelphia regional. We were going to get like, you know, the whole Delaware. Blue Nova. Now, yeah. I mean, it would have screwed over the one seed there. I mean, or the three, whatever. If, if, if Purdue has to go play Villanova and Wells Fargo center, good luck. Right. But, but I think that that's something that um, comes into play some years. If you have the right regional, you have the right regional. Yeah. Well, we still got to Villanova over the Delaware matchup. It's happening. In the South this year, as opposed to in Wells Fargo, I don't know exactly where that game is being played, but you know it should be fun. The uh, Dylan Painter Bowl, so hopefully he can, he can uh, 
may pull up a miracle in that game. But we talk about the Foster Loyal Lawyer Bowl all week. There's a bunch of bowls. Isn't there one more? I think it's Foster Lawyer. It's Dylan Payne. I think there's one more kid going up against his, his, his former team. I can't remember who it is right now, but I feel like it got I saw it somewhere. But anyway, those two are yeah, gonna I be mean, I think it's possible, at least right off the top of my head, what I can think of is, is if Jelly Walker gets the sweet 16, he could feasibly play Seton Hall. Mm. <laughs> That'll be sick. Um, I think I, I'm right. Jordan Walker started at at C-0. Seton Hall for a year, right? Yeah. Well, look, I, I think I think this is a, this is a great segue to get so again to our next our next subject. So we, we want to talk about what some up, upset picks, man. So we're gonna go all all in a round round uh, round table here. So I want to start with you, Lucas. Um, give me obviously every year that there's a twelve five, a thirteen four. Give me give me two of those that that you think. I'm most likely to happen this year. Maybe one twelve five, one thirteen four. If you got two um, in one, because my in my in my opinion, the twelve fives aren't that juicy this year. There's one that I think can really happen. The other ones, I'm like, yeah. And, I, and 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 that that uh Indiana Wyoming one, I don't really count because they're both they're both great teams. So I don't I don't I don't really count that one. But give me yeah. give, give me two that you're keeping your eye on. You know, I think the last time there was a, a, a an upset that people were so confident in happening. Um, was Loyola over Miami the year Loyola made the final four. Everyone was all over that pick. Like the Ramblers are going to beat the Hurricane. Turned out it was a buzzer beating win and the start of a great run. But I was staring at my bracket all week. I'm like, I'm going to pick up points. I'm going to pick the favorite anyways. And that didn't want to work out for me. And I'm going to try and learn my lesson this year and take South Dakota State over Providence. Um, South Dakota State's a 13 seed. That's a two-point underdog. That is practically unheard of. Um, I think I'm working on, I have a piece coming out tomorrow that's looking at analytical trends in each first round matchup. And I think I have a stat from that Providence South Dakota state game that blew my mind as I was researching it. And I'll just read it off. Cause I think it's awesome. Um, <laughs> Providence is two and four this season when teams shoot better than 39% from three against them. Not that many times, only six, but they're two and four in those games. South Dakota state has hit over 39% from three in 10 straight games. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, an absurd man. straight like they're they shot 46 percent from three from conf, in conference play like it is I, I get it south dakota state's defense is rough and that's a problem i i get it but man basketball's about getting buckets and if, if south dakota state gets them down i think they're gonna have a really good chance in that game which would be a shame honestly i think providence had a great season and i think they got screwed because they got a 12 seed as a four because South Dakota State is not a 13 seed. Let me tell you, that is Baylor Shireman is a dog. That's a that's a good team. Yo, people are talking about oh, uh, Justin Bonai is gonna put uh, Baylor Shireman. It's a fun matchup. It's a fun matchup. I think Bonai is good, but man, he's good. Shireman, but yo, Baylor Shireman is not like he's not he's not no regular dude, bro. Like, I wouldn't be like he. I'm not saying he's gonna cook Bonai, but like yeah. you're not gonna just go out there and strap him. He's gonna score five points. Like he's gonna yeah, score. Think- like. I think there's something to be said that there are guys who get a lot of buckets and make a lot of plays and have great numbers um, from these double-digit mid-major seeds that are like an even six foot, and, and they get into the tournament and they're a little undersized. Taylor Shireman's a legit six six. Yeah. Like that is that is not an easy guy to match up with. Hey, what are we talking about here? He can he can put good. on the floor, he can shoot it. He's that size, like like he's cool, really bro. good. Uh, and I think he might be the best player. Actually, he probably is the best player on the floor in that game, um, which then will lead me into another upset pick. Um, Kevin Sweeney, the great Kevin Sweeney, commented on Field of 68 this week. Um, 
when you have the best guard on the floor in March Madness, you got yourself a shot. And Jelly Walker is the best guard on the floor against Houston this week. Um, I think that's a tough matchup in my head because I walked into the selection show thinking whoever UAB draws, I will be taking. I will be taking UAB. I think that Jordan Walker is phenomenal. Uh, Michael Ertle has been really good recently. I mean, I don't think he's – I think he played 54 minutes in that triple OT game and in the tournament. Uh, he's – those two guards are really good. They'll really shoot it on you. Um, but Houston is a really tough five. I mean, I know that they didn't really beat anybody in the regular season, and that's the huge issue. But there's a reason predictive metrics exist, and they love Houston. I mean, Ken Palm loves Houston. Um, and those are as – they eliminate as much bias as you can have, and those teams and those sites love Houston, um, which I think makes it difficult um, to take that kind of pick. But I think that's probably still the most likely um, five-club upset on the board, at least not like St. Mary's, Indiana. Yeah. I, I think we get a little – I think that might be there, St. Mary's, Wyoming. I think St. Mary's is quite good, and I'm not meaning this as a, as a diss on the West Coast. Um, I really think Tommy Cousy is fantastic. Another one of those guys that gets you good size um, in that kind of matchup. But I think there's a lot of folks who aren't really call Indiana and upset if they win just because it's Indiana. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. The, the one that I – the 12 five, I was like, oh, yeah, this this one is, is one that could really happen with the, with the Houston UAB too. So, Drew, what about you? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm going to stay in the South. And uh, I think that there's going to be two mid-majors advancing to the second round because I do have UAB over Houston. And I also have Chattanooga – over Illinois uh, in that same region. So uh, I think that, you know, I think that Chattanooga is obviously, you know, David Jean-Baptiste, Silvio D'Souza, Malachi Smith. I think they absolutely had the talent to, to beat Illinois. Man, I think that Illinois is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Like, I think on the one hand, Illinois can you know, make a final four run, but on the other hand, I think they can also very easily be, be upset in the first round. And um, obviously much has been said about the play of Andre Carbello this year and kind of, you know, what he's going to be able to bring to the table. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that I, I, I'm picking both UAB and Chattanooga to advance uh, past the first round in the South region, man. And another one that I, I don't feel, you know, I feel like it's unpopular, um, but I, I would not be surprised if, if Richmond upsets Iowa, man. I know everybody's talking about, oh, Iowa has this potent offense and they're going to score all these points. And Keegan Murray, which I agree with 100%, like Keegan Murray is probably going to score 30 points. But I do think that Richmond, man, you have four fifth-year seniors, man, like that are in your rotation that are playing minutes, man. Those guys are old, and those guys are, are hungry and motivated, man. And I think that, you know, for an Iowa team that doesn't read the fan, they don't really – I mean, much has been already made about Fran McCaffrey and his, his March, uh, you know, March Madness resume and kind of, you know, lack of being able to really advance far. So, I mean, I think that Richmond has as good a shot as anybody to advance uh, in, in that 12-5 matchup as well. Don't but get me wrong. I think Iowa is great. I think they're I think they're playing great. I will preface this before Hawkeyes hate me. But there is something to be said in conference tournaments about teams playing desperate that need to get in the tournament. Man, yep. Jacob Gilliard's a fifth-year senior, and that man played desperate last weekend. And that was I've watched Jacob Gilliard. He's an all-time Steelers leader. He's a phenomenal player. He got he got it going in the A10 tournament. I think he had seven threes against BCU, six in the first half. Uh, he's playing some of his best offensive ball. He's already a good defender. Um, he's playing some of his best offense in a long time. And I think that that's an interesting matchup. And to your point on Chattanooga, I will just to hyper back to um, bracketology stuff for a second. I think Richmond screwed 
Providence and Illinois, because just going into that game, the play in games were both going to be 12 seats. Um, and because Richmond won and got on the 12 seed line, that differentiated things where the play-ins were going to have to be two games, two teams playing on the 11 and two teams playing on the 12, which pushed either Chattanooga or South Dakota state to the 13 seed. I don't want to be the four seed facing either of those two teams. <laughs> yeah. Damn yeah. right about that. What I will say quickly about your, about your Richmond, I pick, I think I was elite and I think that they're probably going to win that game. But what I will say about Richmond is that, they just defended an elite offensive team. They were in the top 10 offense in the country. I was, I think, I think it's right now, second offense efficiency right now in Kempom. And they held them 37% shooting from the floor and 33% shooting from three. Now, I think that, obviously, there's no Keegan Murray on Davidson. But I think just their experience having guarded an offense that, that moves the ball the way that Davidson does and, and being able to defend the way that they did, having to play a team like Iowa the very next game is, is something that, that I think, you know, can work in their favor. And just the momentum coming off that 8-10 tournament. Like, they're a hot team. We've seen teams kind of be able to carry that over into the NCAA tournament. Um, so while I don't think that Richmond wins the game, I think it'll be a lot better game than a lot of people, a lot of people think. So the one that I said I, I agree with with Lucas on the 12-5 with UAB and Houston, I, and I uh, and uh, you as well, Drew. But I think one other one that we got to watch out for um, is a 13-4, and it comes from the West bracket, and that is Vermont and Arkansas. And yeah. I just think Vermont, man, like these these dudes, yo, they just beat UNBC by 40 <laughs> to win the American East. But I don't think people quite understand like how absurd that is to win a conference tournament game by, by that many points. Like UNBC is not a bad team. Like obviously they're conference they're, championship they're, game at that. Conference, conference, championship. conference championship game. Like um, but Vermont's come in, they won eight straight games, 28 and 5. They had the player of the year in the league in Ryan Davis. Ben Shungu was outstanding, Isaiah Powell is outstanding. And, Vermont head coach John Becker said he thinks this team might be his best team he's had there yet. And he's had some great teams at the University of Vermont, man. But they're an outstanding offensive team. Um, they've only lost one game, I believe, since, like, December. And it was to Hartford where Ryan Davis didn't even play uh, in that basketball game. He's their best player. So another team that's extremely hot, elite offensive team. I mean, they're playing some great basketball right now, man. And so if I had to pick a 13-4, I think that's one more that I would look at. Um, I think that's a, that, that one is coming from the – West, West bracket. Yeah, I wish Vermont got someone that wasn't Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is playing pretty good basketball, too. I really like yeah. this Vermont team. D Davis and Shungo are so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I think they're going to be tough. Um, there's actually, there's, it's really interesting um, just from a, what that battle, think, I think that battle is going to be. Um, Arkansas is 18 and 1 when, it's, when it holds opponents under 48% on twos. Hmm. Vermont's 24 and 0 when it shoots 54% on twos. So whoever wins that battle in down low on Vermont's side of the floor, I think probably wins that game. That's the gems here, man. Um, without further ado, man, we, 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 we're going to you know, wrap this up with Lucas, man. Give us your, your final four and your national champion this year in the 2022 NCAA tournament. So for now, and which will change in about 10 minutes, because that's how, that's how this week goes. Um, my final four is sitting at Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona. And I just get to the Midwest every time. And I'm like, oh, I picked ones, ah. and, two, ones and two seeds. I don't want to pick Kansas. Give me Iowa. Ooh, wow. Greg Waddell said that the other night on the, on the field CTA show. I was like, yo. I was playing good right now, but I, I don't know if I see them in the final four, man. I, 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 I think actually, I uh, 
I think honestly, it, when I when I find when I finalize my bracket before next week, I think I mean before Thursday, I think I'm going to end up with Kansas coming out of that region because I feel most confident. But I feel bad making all my picks one and two seeds. So I think yeah. if I really if I look outside the top two lines, who has the best draw? I think to get to the final four, that's not on those top two lines. I, I think UCLA is there. Yeah, uh, UCLA as well. Yeah, I think they're they're one of the four teams in the country that are top fifteen in offense and defensive efficiency adjusted. St. Mary's is a good five seed. I wouldn't say it's Iowa, um, and I think that's a matchup UCLA can win. It's also not going to be a direct geographical advantage for either team. They're both West Coast playing, um, and they're probably going to get Baylor in the Sweet Sixteen. It was great. Baylor, un, even injured Baylor is a really good team, but injured Baylor isn't healthy Baylor either. Um, I think UCLA has got a pretty decent, like of the four seeds, probably the, the easiest path to the elite eight um, where it'll get Kentucky most likely, like it, it, just from an analytics standpoint, they're the two seed, they're the best two seed. They'll probably get there. Um, but could you imagine that coach K's final year? Plus we would get, we could get a UCLA Kentucky elite eight. What a, what a year this shapes up to Michigan state Duke in the second round. If we get there. And if That'd we don't get that, then Foster Lawyer beat Michigan State, which is even better. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely be sick. That would definitely be sick. Drew, who you got? My final four, man, I got Gonzaga. I got Duke. Uh, I have Arizona. Yeah, they're in the same region. Gonzaga and Duke are both Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at my lead eight. I'm looking at my lead eight. Wrong. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong yeah, yeah. Here we go. So I have Gonzaga, Kentucky. Gonzaga, Kentucky, Villanova, and Kansas. Uh, in my final four, I, I'm trusting the Wildcats to get, get there. And I have uh, uh, Gonzaga beating Kansas in national championship game. Oh, and I took Arizona over Gonzaga in my championship game. And, Ooh, and, and, Tommy Lloyd beating his, beating his uh, old boss. And that's partially a safety pick, I think. Because I think Gonzaga w- w- is, better, is more likely to make the championship game than UCLA if those are my two in the final four. Yeah. Uh, and I think Arizona – part of it is I think Arizona just, just – Based on what we've heard, that was kind of thing. I think they're going to get Carissa back for the second weekend. Yeah. And if they do, they're a different team. And I think Arizona sets up great. They have an awesome region for them. Like, I think it's a tough, tough teams. Illinois is great. Houston's really good. Tennessee's playing awesome. Villanova, I've said, is probably the most consistent team in the country. Uh, But all those teams have one thing in common. They play slowly. Yeah. Arizona doesn't play slow. Arizona will make all those teams uncomfortable. If they can, if they can set the tone early with, with their tempo, they can make everyone uncomfortable in that region. Yeah, you're not wrong, man. For me, I have uh, I have Arizona, I have Gonzaga, I have Kentucky, and I have Auburn right in the ship and getting to the Final Four, man. And then I have um, I have Gonzaga and Arizona in the championship, and I have Mark Few getting his first chip, getting his first national championship, beating his old boss Tommy Lloyd in the title game, man. But we are running out of time on this episode, man. So we want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, thank Lucas for coming on, man. And uh, for all you guys filling out brackets, man, hope you guys, as my guy Rothstein says, keep a bottle of kerosene nearby and, and a bottle of Kleenex, man. But until next time, folks, enjoy the night. You beating on me? It's time to get a check, boy. You want the sideline? You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You beating on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot, I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. Get it up. I don't, I don't bear. Let's go. It's a topic of discussion.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.